Magic Book Club with Benson's for Beds. Hello, you. Welcome. It is the Magic Book Club podcast. My name's Tom Price, and this is the show where I'm going to find out exactly what makes your favourite authors put their pen to paper, their fingers to keyboard, or maybe start speaking to their scribe. That would be a good way to write a book, wouldn't it? Just have someone at the desk, and you can just sit on a chair. Just shouting ideas at them. None of our authors do that. We've got the real deal here on the show, especially today. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking with contributing editor for GQ, a founder of the LGBTQ plus community, The Queer Bible, a member of the Mayor of London's Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm, and most importantly of all those things, all-round tip-top chap. He's called Jack Guinness favourite tipple of mine as well. Uh, He's a great guy. So sit back, make yourself something iced, maybe make yourself a little bit of Jack Guinness, uh, or but you know, get the dog on the leads, get ready for your very slow run in the sun. Make sure you've got this podcast on as we find out just what makes this week's author tick. Here we go. I've got the fabulous Jack Guinness. Hello, Jack. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you? What a wonderful adjective. I love being called fabulous. Thank you. I'm feeling fabulous. Good, good. Are (laughs) Are you enjoying this heat which we suddenly seem to have? I am. I feel as though, brilliantly, at the end of lockdown, we've got the sunshine. It's Pride Month as well. So sunshine, happy LGBTQ plus people. It's all my favourite things. I'm feeling very, very happy. Yes, good, good. They're, they're pride. When did Pride When did it become Pride Month? Because that's an excellent thing. Because, yes, LGBTQ plus people were a little bit greedy. It's like with the <laughs> Queen having two birthdays. We could have just had a Pride Day and then we were like, do you know what? We're just going to take the whole blooming month. Um <laughs> But this year, we're being even more greedy because we've had to move the actual official Pride celebrations, you know, when you have all the floats going down Oxford Street. We've, because of, uh, of, obviously, uh, restrictions, we've had to move that. I say we, like we all met up in a, you know, like a big pink tent somewhere. But Is there a but committee? There is, there probably there is. There's, the gay mafia decided that it should be moved to, I'm just imagining like Elton John and Sir Ian McKellen sat around with Miriam Margolis <laughs> deciding the fate of the queer community. Um, so they've moved the actual celebrations to September, but uh-huh. you can't really change Pride Month because all these you know big corporations have got their rainbow flags ready to just pop in the windows to pretend they care about LGBTQ plus yes, stuff. I was, was going to say about that. How do you feel about that? Because there, it does stick in the crawl, doesn't it, for some people that when the big corporations jump on it. It feels almost a bit, almost a bit cynical, Jack, maybe? It, potentially. I mean... I think, to be honest, it, it's a privilege to live in a culture where we can sit around complaining about there being too much LGBTQ plus acceptance. Like around the world, um, there are so many places where it's illegal to be gay, where they're really repressive or LGBTQ plus and they're really repressive laws and stuff. So on the one hand, I'm very grateful that we live in a culture where you can walk down the street and there'll be flags, you know, in like banks and stuff like that but then when you see organizations that have a terrible track record of lgbtq plus inclusivity or you see political parties that have a history of um passing really terrible laws that have really damaged uh our culture as a whole when you see them coming out being like yeah pride i'm like "Mm." you know you know that thing about um dogs aren't just for christmas i think yeah right (laughs) LGBTQ plus people aren't just for pride. You need to kind of show up all year round. You can't just turn up one day and expect us to be like, yeah, thanks for waving a flag. This is so unbelievable. As you're saying this beautiful, articulate speech, an email has just popped up on my computer from a well-known car micro-hiring site. (laughs) Zip car. And literally, I've just seen the email. The timing was just perfect. It just says, have pride in your ride. Really, Zipcar? Really? Well, I noticed also on Uber... 
when I took a journey that, you know, there's like a, a, a progress line, like a kind of snake that shows you where you're going. They've turned it into a rainbow snake, which I just, I thought really like, okay, yes. does, is this, have you, are you queering my journey somehow? I don't really get that. Also, I'm very offended that you're checking your emails while I was delivering sorry, that really beautiful sorry, speech. Sorry, Anything else, okay, you know, just, just, you know, fill out your LinkedIn, oh, pop, pop a post on Facebook while I'm doing, giving a really impassioned speech oh. about queer rights around the world. Oh, don't. Bitcoin's just crashed. One second. Back oh, stop it. Get off your Coinbase now. So now, listen, before we get distracted by Bitcoin, because I feel like we could do a whole different podcast about that. Uh, Jack, I could. Let's talk about, the, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the Queer Bible. Tell us what this wonderful, wonderful book is. So it really started out as a website. So a few years ago, um, I was watching the Oscars and Sam Smith had just won an Oscar for Best Song and said that they were the first... LGBTQ plus people person to win this Oscar and it turned out that they weren't and people you, you know what people are like on Twitter people piled in and were just being really horrific saying you know young people don't know their queer history and it was really like there was a real vicious twist to it yeah. and we live in this kind of pile on culture where everyone loves to criticize other people and so I went online and I was challenged I was like but do I know my LGBTQ plus history do I know about um these kind of these queer trailblazers that went before me. And I, I know a little bit, I studied English literature. I, I know the kind of the big names. So I went online and I tried to find a, a resource and there are some great resources, but they all look like they were made in kind of Microsoft Word clip art from the nineties, you know, with that like yes. clip thing. And they're in purple Comic Sans font. And oh, no, they're made by- Oh, Roman. A hundred percent. And they're made by like well-meaning like professors um, but I was thinking, wait a sec, aren't LGBTQ plus people supposed to be like, as you said before in your lovely introduction, the most fabulous, creative, amazing people in the world. So I thought we need a space that reflects that. I, th I like it when the form mirrors the, the content, you know? So I set about to create the Queer Bible website, which still exists now, queerbible.com. And the, the, pro the, the, kind of the, the project is basically, I ask my heroes to write an essay about their hero. So you get a lovely double narrative. You get a kind of a contemporary person that offers you a way in to a, an, someone else's life, someone else's story. And they're all, always really personal. They're always about someone that changed that person's life. So for example, I managed to track down this guy called David Crowland, who used to go out with the photographer Robert Maplethorpe. And he wrote this essay about, I think he got wasted. He went to the Chelsea Hotel and he met a young girl called Patty Smith and her then boyfriend, Robert Maplethorpe, and he promptly steals Robert Maplethorpe off the legend, Patti Smith. That's so, why she's so mad. That's why she's so that's, mad. Listen, I got to the bottom of it. She's furious because she got her boyfriend stolen off her. Oh, she could have been a completely different artist were it not for that moment. The slide. <laughs> I love, yeah, if she hadn't had that traumatizing moment, we wouldn't have had her music or career or poetry. <laughs> So if you don't know who any of those people are, that's quite a juicy story. So, you know, for a young kid reading that, you're like, oh, that sounds pretty rock and roll. And then they go off and then, you know, they'll listen to Patti Smith's music. They'll read Just Kids. They'll look at Robert Maplethorpe's art. And it's, for me, uh, these stories, these narratives, the humour of them, the, the heartbreak in them is like the the sugar that helps the medicine go down. And the medicine is the history. The medicine is the knowledge about, you know, those people that went before us. So that's how it started. It started as a website and my dream was always to turn it into a book. And now I'm very lucky uh, we've done that and it's coming out in, in June. Indeed, indeed. What a wonderful, wonderful story. What a, what a brilliant 
sort of way of, of there's something about looking about about you know you've got the history of these people here who are doing these things and there's something in finding in finding in history which up to this point as you were saying has been underreported or reported in poor uh, in a poor font um, but finding your heroes and finding uh, expression for them and finding that that connection with people is gonna, it's only going to make you feel better right it's only going completely be, you know I, so I, helpful I think it's a universal experience. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your sexuality is. Like as a teenager, you want to go off and find your tribe. You know, you you normally quite angry with your family for whatever reason, serious or funny. And you want to go off there and, and make your own identity. And the added problem for a lot of LGBTQ plus people is that you realize you're different from all the people you're supposed to feel close to. You instantly feel separated from your family. You can feel separated from a lot of your peers. And for lots of people that can take them down a road of, of shame, of self-loathing, of kind of experimentation and falling into different, um, you know, like addictions and issues where they're searching for themselves and they're searching for their tribes. Yeah. And I think the, most powerful thing you can do for any marginalized group is connect them up to their history to say to young people not only should you be proud of who you are if you're lgbtq plus um, and accept who you are and love who you are but you should also be proud because you're walking in the footsteps of some of the most incredible brilliant fascinating people going back thousands of years through our history and unfortunately um people have had to hide their own stories to protect um protect themselves from from attack and abuse um, and then also people have had their histories erased so someone like Alan Turing um, you know in, in a lot of the historical accounts of his life they leave out his homosexuality in the movie it was it was quite straight washed so the whole project is about going back and finding out about these people that that did exist and led incredible brilliant inspiring lives and that in turn allows us to feel connected to them and and have self-worth and feel proud of where we're from as everyone should so it's Indeed, it's a, it's yeah. it's really about connecting back up to to that proud history and there's nothing more damaging than looking out into the ether to find connection with someone and being greeted by silence because it's been repressed and now here we are with books like this and it, that's only going to be a you know a source of, of healing i suppose absolutely i you know i try and stay away from being too like oprah-ish about it oprah's great oh, never don't get be. me wrong never stay away but, from that but it is, thank you, good. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But I, oh. but there is a very, something very healing about that. You know, it's very powerful you, to see you yourself healed? reflected back. Or were you healed? Were you healed or were you healing? I was both. I was healed and I'm trying to heal other people. Um, and and there's, there's, there's something really powerful about seeing people that are like you represented. And there's something really damaging about not seeing anyone like you in the mainstream or yeah. on TV or in music. Um, so representation really, really, really matters. It, and does, really matter. it does really matter. Yeah, and, and so I'm really excited for to, to share the book with young people and then for them to get to read all these stories. And it's also illustrated. I was a massive fan of comics. I'm a real nerd. And when I was a kid, I loved reading graphic novels and comics. And I still do. Okay. And yeah, oh, the illustrations. They're brilliant. I love the illustrations. They're gorgeous. Thank you. So, so the website, the reason why the illustrations happened was on the website, I was really worried about using photographs and getting sued um, for copyright. 
So it was kind of just a happy accident. And I thought, oh, I know, I'll do illustrations. So I started commissioning illustrators. And the, the internet's incredible. I've, I've, I've worked with, I worked with a young gay guy. Uh, he's like, how old is he? Like 17, 18 in Mexico City that I found on Instagram. And I've built up these, these relationships with all these queer kids all around the world that are, are incredible illustrators. And now in the book, we, each essay is illustrated by a, uh, an illustrator. So for example, Elton John's written an amazing essay on Divine. So there's an illustration of Divine and then we also have an illustration of Elton John. So the whole book has this really textured, beautiful feel. Like it, it, it has to exist as a book. It couldn't just be a website. There's a kind of a preciousness to it. Mm, and the yes. illustrations really add to that texture. And how was that when uh, Elton John was sending in his essay? Was it a bit like you were Elton John's teacher? Uh, no, completely the other way around. I mean, I... We're talking about the healing process of this book in lockdown because um, I don't have a normal job. I work in the fashion industry, so a lot of a lot of my work completely stopped. And this book really saved my life because it really gave me something to focus on during lockdown. And it also meant that a lot of the contributors that really wanted to be part of the project but were too busy normally were now able to contribute. So someone like Elton John, if it wasn't for lockdown. He's always been very supportive and, and, you know, wanted to be part of this. But there was just a small window of time when he was able to write this essay and, and send it in. So there are a few people like him who y you can't quite believe that you're talking to. I had a phone call with him and I spoke to one of his, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this. I spoke to one of his assistants and they said, you need to call Elton on a landline. And I was like, that's quite weird. Why do I need to call Elton on a landline? So I just sheepishly wrote back. I was like... I don't have a landline. Like nobody has a landline anymore. Like why totally. is it some kind of thing that he's got about landlines? And they wrote back and said, no, it's just, do you want your mobile phone to drop connection while you're on the phone to Elton John? And I was like, oh, that's oh, wow. why. Oh, wow. Cause that's the it's worst imaginable thing. I loved it. I loved it. It was basically, it was for me. It was for my protection to say, no, if you have a moment to talk to Elton John, make sure you're on a landline. Yeah. Forget and GCHQ, spoke... it's EJHQ. You've got to <laughs> perform for that. Did you call him from a phone box or something? No, do you know what? I had visions of myself, yeah, like t telling people to be quiet outside a phone box. But I, <laughs> I, I called on a mobile, but I had it plugged into the wall, charging just in case anything went wrong. And um, that was probably one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had. And he was so sweet and lovely. And you have all these expectations of people. You know, he's Elton John. I'm expecting this really kind of like brash big character and he's just like the sweetest kindest lovely man um so speaking of healing experiences i mean talking to one of my heroes even for half an hour was a pretty amazing experience for me yes 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 heroes everywhere in this book heroes being written about heroes doing the writing uh, we've got uh fantastic people obviously elton john graham norton tan france russell tovey i love russell tovey love him he's brilliant and he's his whole project that he's doing with talk art he's got a book out at the moment i love how he's democratizing and making accessible art for everyone and that's a similar mission that that i've got with the queer bible project that yeah. you know i want i want to demystify and open up history and culture and make it make it really fun and engaging um graham norton's essay is absolutely brilliant he's you know, he's annoying he's one of those people that's good at everything so i was yeah, it's, hoping it's tough for us it's tough for us I, <laughs> I like, man but don't don't hate us don't hate us jack just you and graham mm -hmm. 
Um, he's incredible. He's such a good writer. He's so I good. had no idea. I didn't realize yes. how brilliant he was. He's so funny, and his essay made me laugh and cry. And I don't want to spoil it, but it 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 opens with him talking about how being gay is something you can't do alone. You need someone else to be gay with. So if he'd come out in his village, he would have just been gay riding his bicycle alone around in his village. He would have been gay sitting alone watching television. And it's such a funny, original, weird, surreal concept. And it's it's so funny. And he writes about Armistead Maupin, who wrote Tales of the City. Mm. Um, and he talks about this. I just want people to read it. I don't want to spoil it because he does a much better job of, of describing it than I ever could. Um, but he talks about this whole different bit of his life that I had no idea... Um, existed and he talks about this completely other time and he really is brilliant at painting another world and it's really quite I find it quite hard to imagine different eras and he, he paints it so beautifully and there's such a lightness in his writing um, and 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 by the end a real profundity if that's a word um, sure is now. it is now we, we, yeah. we're trademarking that there's it a profundity. Is a it is a word. Yeah, it's a profundity. It's profundity everywhere. But he is. But this is what I love about him because he proves that um, st- stupid, kind of, well, not stupid, but you know, presenters who can come across as being, um, you know, uh, with levity and everything sort of thrown. Levity away, is can, a great word. Thanks very much. Use it twice a day. Um, it's like my verbal moisturizer. Uh, but he <laughs> proves that these people who come across as light end entertainers have fantastic talent and his his ability to to write and take you there so efficiently. You know, yes. there's an efficiency to his writing. Ten words there is. and you're in a completely different place. There is. And, and it, those words are so... I don't know whether it's just completely instinctive because he's so clever and funny or, or, or they're just so carefully placed. Um, also, thinking back to, you know, his day job on television, you know, those people at dinner parties that are just like the funniest most brilliant people that kind of keep it all going. Yeah. There's, it's like a swan watching him work where it just looks like he's gliding along, but his feet underneath the water are like, you know, he's five steps ahead of everyone working out what they're going to say. And that, that intelligence and that humour is in, infused, into, infused into his, into his yeah. essay. I mean, listen, we can't be nice about all of the people who've written uh, essays. In this Do you want me to slag some of them off? Well, I was going to say, who wrote the RuPaul one? This RuPaul one's awful. Yeah, the RuPaul one's terrible. It's badly written. It's oh cliched. <laughs> That's my one, actually. That's my one. It's ever so good. In fact, can I read the can I read the first uh, Go for the first few lines? Let me get this straight. You publicly came out, did a ton of interviews, launched a queer website, and spent all your money commissioning pieces just so you could meet RuPaul. What kind of maniac, stalker, weirdo would do something like that? I replied to my boyfriend's wild accusation. So you wrote this, Jack. Tell us about yes. your obsession with RuPaul. It's been a lifelong obsession. I remember being very young and watching Elton John and RuPaul um, perform. What was the Kiki D song? Don't go breaking my heart. Yeah. And they re-released it together. And I was very, very young. And I remember watching it on TV and not... I knew that RuPaul wasn't a woman, but I also didn't know what a drag queen was. And it was like RuPaul had kind of transcended gender and become something more, like this kind of incredible creature. And immediately I was drawn to to this amazing, like, goddess, this six-foot-ten black goddess... And she just seemed so glamorous and everything that my life wasn't. And like Elton John, they're dressing up as different characters from history. So like Cleopatra and Whistler's mother and all these funny 
lovers, but it's queered because it's, you know, it's Elton John and this incredible drag queen. And I, and I followed RuPaul's career throughout my life. And then obviously Drag Race blew onto the, the global scene. Do you feel and a bit we, like I knew him before he was famous? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I was like, I was five. <laughs> first i was typing there first i remember them wearing breton tops <laughs> who was the first one is it rupaul who was the first person who you saw on tv or in the public eye and you thought I, I, there's a connection i feel a connection there like me well i think it's really interesting james baldwin writes about this that 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 people know without knowing that you maybe sense something different about that person and you can't really put your finger on it and it's not necessarily about sex or sexual it's about being an outsider and i think outsiders know each other and you can't quite put a finger on what it is you know but you know that you're both different um david furnish writing um his essay about sylvester talks about how his group of friends that he was friends with at school all grew up to be gay except one of them who was Eric McCormack who played Will in Will and Grace which is the gayest thing in the world so yeah. even the straight one was <laughs> gayer than the gay people yeah. um, and it's and that's funny and I had a, a friend at school and we both grew up and realized that we were gay and it's funny that you kind of you kind of find each other so on mm. tv people like Julian Clary he was mm -hmm. someone that you know like Grannies would maybe watch him and just think that he was just like a, a funny man, not maybe not realise he was gay, and that some of the innuendos and jokes would kind of go over my head. But I knew that he was really naughty. I always love it when you, you know grannies. Grannies often love gay guys without realising they're gay. Well, like Kenneth, they just Kenneth think they're Williams. kind. Kenneth, Kenneth what's Williams. That, what's the bit in that um, in the essay about him? It says it's theatrical. It's not. It's not. He's not gay. It's theatrical. He's theatrical. He's <laughs> no, theatrical. I love that. Yeah. I'm so using that as a euphemism. He's very theatrical. He, he's very well. He's theatrical. Um, and yeah, and like Liberace, grannies loved Liberace, didn't they? They're just. Yes. He's so careful about his clothes. He just likes sequins. He's just particular about his diamond shoes. So he's a screaming queen, Grandma. <laughs> uh, there's so many bits in this book and, and so many quirks, so fascinating. And I'll be honest, I am, you know, I'm a completely, I am a, a boring, middle-aged, white, straight guy, but reading this has opened my mind to all these people I didn't know much about. I sort of knew, I recognised the, the names of a lot of people, but there's so many great characters and icons who I knew nothing about. So it is, it is so interesting, endlessly fascinating. Um, and I've really enjoyed reading this, Jack. Thank you very much for putting it together. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, the Queer Bible is out now. Now, normally, Jack, uh, before we wrap things up, I'll usually ask our authors, you know, uh, what's next and all that sort of stuff. But you are, you're very busy. So not only are you at GQ, you're running Queer Bible, of course. Uh, you're also a member of the Mayor of London's Commission for Diversity in the Public Realm, which is a very, very fancy long title, but it's a very, very important job. Tell us a bit about that. Yes. So um, I don't really know how much I'm allowed to say about it. It's really an incredibly inspiring, brilliant group of people that are getting together to discuss how we can make sure that the public spaces in London reflect the population of London and our history. So it's a really exciting, positive, celebratory project. And, um, and yeah, I'm really, really happy to be part of it. It's, I'm, a, I've, I'm a Londoner born and raised. Um, 
I love art. I love art in public spaces. And I'm really excited to see how we can engage with local communities to make sure that people's stories, just like in the queer Bible, are being shared and celebrated in the public space. So it's, yeah, it's really, really exciting. And it's a, it's a really positive project. I'm very honoured to be part of it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And have you got your eye on maybe penning a novel yourself? Is that something you're thinking about for the future? Yeah, I've thought about it. I have thought about it. I'm very, um, I'm cautious about it. Uh, I, I'm a massive literature fan. And um, I think I'd, I'd have to like, go and lock myself away on a mountain side somewhere um, okay. to write. Uh, London is too distracting. Good luck running the expenses past your publisher for that one. Yeah. Yes, I'm buying a, a house on the side of a hill. <laughs> Thanks, HarperCollins. Thanks. For I didn't know that. we could get expenses. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? Um, who are your main inspirations as a writer? Who do you like to read the most? Oh gosh, I have so many. Um, I'm a massive Dave Eggers fan. I'm a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. I read that when I was really young, and it changed what I thought literature could look like. Yes. Um, I love poetic writing. So there's a, a novel by a poet called Anne Michaels called Fugitive Pieces. Um, yes that's brilliant. Uh, it's really, it's all about the power of language to, to, to kind of mend broken hearts and broken souls, which I think is, is what literature does at, at its best. Um, I'm a massive James Baldwin fan, and we've got a brilliant essay on James Baldwin by Paul Mendes, who has himself written a brilliant oh, novel Rainbow last Milk. year. Oh, Rainbow Milk's Rainbow. incredible. Fantastic. Um, and then also uh, another book that I love, House of Impossible Beauty, is written by Joseph Kassara. Joseph Kassara is in this book as well, and he's written um, an essay on Pedro Almodovar, um, the Spanish film director. And his essay, I read it and I was like, something's weird about this essay, I can't put my finger on it. And I realised that he's mirrored the rhythm and imagery of a Pedro Almodovar film in his essay. So what? that's, yeah, it's mind blowing. It really is. And it's so delicately done. And you're like, oh my gosh, he's, he's He's copying the form. It's brilliant. So yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge fiction fan, and I, I love reading nonfiction as well. Um, and I'm very excited to read um, Russell Tovey's Talk Art book, and look at the pictures. Of I like course, a few pictures about, as well. It's all about looking at the pictures. I do love to judge a book by its cover as well. That's what <laughs> I uh, Listen, uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us on the Magic Book Club podcast. You are. It's awesome. been my pleasure. The Queer Bible is out now. And there you go. That's it for today's Magic Book Club podcast. Join me next time for more brilliant stories from fabulous authors. And don't forget, as ever, head over to magic.co.uk and you can see all the books we have been picking for June. And uh, let me tell you, there are meetings and everything. When we pick these books, it's not just randomly done. We don't just listen to publishers and put whatever they tell us uh, onto our list. We make sure we go through it and we choose the best books for you. So head over to magic.co.uk and you can see all our June picks and join the book club for yourself. In the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.